Right, I just want to share some stuff with you now, just reflecting on some of the things that I've learned, some of the things that God's been speaking to me about, and really share my heart with you a bit. And um, I, I feel like what I've got for you is quite prophetic for us as a church, for us as a community of people, and for what God is doing. And it's great just to hear the prophetic earlier on in the worship and how similar that is to what God's put in my heart. But I want to repeat, first of all, what I said last week, and I want to say it as a kind of declaration over us, um, that uh, there's no difference between Africa and here in what God is doing. And, uh, you know, it's the same God. And I know people come back, and I've heard this for years, people come back from Africa and everything's wonderful and it's all amazing and there's all these miracles and you kind of think, oh... Well, what about here, you know? And I just don't feel that at all. I didn't feel any more anointed out there to what I feel here. And uh, I didn't feel there was any more Holy Spirit there than there was there is here. I was fully expectant that I'd barely be able to walk around the place because the presence of God was so strong there. And I actually found it's very much the same as here. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but as in a way to encourage you. Um, we saw amazing miracles out there, but I've seen amazing miracles here. We've seen amazing miracles here. We've seen lives transformed here. Amazing transformations because God is on the move. He's on the move here today. All of the things I saw just about, I have seen a version of here in England. Isn't that amazing? So God has done something. He's leveled it out for us. But there were two things that were different that I just want to talk to you about. The first one very briefly, and the second take a little bit more time over, because the second one we're going to work out into a series later on in the year. But the first one is that, obvious, there was a greater concept of need. There was a greater concept of need. So poverty, you know, lack of dentists. I mean, you, you couldn't go anywhere to get your teeth done, so... If God's offering new teeth, you're queuing up. It's the NHS of Africa. Is God turns up and gives you new teeth. And there's no medical help particularly. They can't afford medical help. So there's a greater sense of need. They've got nowhere else to go. For them, God was the only hope. And he wasn't just the last resort, as he can be for us sometimes. Uh, or for the unbeliever, that God is the last resort. And this need, this desperation, it kind of seemed to draw God's supernatural power. And that was just so obvious that people were just so desperate, it's like they sucked the supernatural out of heaven. And I don't know, I mean, maybe you've even found this, that you go through these times when you're just desperate, where you hit rock bottom, where there is no other way to go. Only God can do this. And so often he will intervene in our lives. We have that greater concept of need. Not all the time, but there are those times, those moments, aren't there, in our lives where, God, if you don't show up, I've known those times. But regarding healing, which is something I'm particularly interested in, I think it raises some questions for us. And I want to say this really carefully. So... um, I haven't got all the answers on it, but it's made me think this greater concept of need. I mean, how desperate are we when it comes to healing? Uh, I mean, do we really need God? Uh, I mean, there are some diseases, aren't there, in our, in our communities, in our, in our country, that there is no hope for. But even those we kind of alleviate <laughs> with drugs and so on. 
But do we see it? Do, do we see this desperation, this need? And I think for us it can be too easy sometimes to just reach for the medicine bottle or put our trust in hospitals or doctors and not have that sense of needing God or looking to God. Now, please don't get me wrong. I want to say this carefully because I actually think the doctors are an amazing provision <laughs> for us in our country. It's, it's a sign of the grace of God. I'm not decrying doctors at all, and I wouldn't hesitate to go and see one. But at the same time, this should not surely obscure our view of God or his role in our healing. You know, whatever method of healing that God uses, I think we should still be giving glory to God. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, I had to have an operation on my leg because I had a problem with one of my veins. It wasn't working properly. And, you know, all sorts of people said some really silly things to me at that time. About, and one person actually said to me, I believe that if you put yourself under the knife, God will leave you. I mean, it was just one of those stupid name-it-and-claim-it kind of stupid thinking. But anyway, as I, was, I went for the operation, and I was obviously nervous, but as I was going out under the anaesthetic... I felt the Spirit of God just say to me, just as, just before I went, I'm the Lord that heals you. Wow. And I woke up, and the presence of God was still there. It was just wonderful. When I got home, though, there was a problem. Because actually when they cut in... I won't go into detail. The medical ones I will describe to in detail later if you want. But when, when, uh, when I sat down, I found I had no feeling down the inside of my leg. They'd actually managed to cut through one of the nerves. And, uh, and I just remembered what God had said to me. He says, I'm the Lord that heals you. So I put my hand on my leg. I said, Lord, if you're the God who heals me, I don't believe you do botch-up jobs. So in Jesus' name, I claim that healing now. And straight away, healing returned. Uh, feeling returned to my inside leg and I've never had a problem with feeling there and I think it also comes okay you can say praise God for that actually that I'm really glad about that thank you Jesus and uh, I think it also comes with medicines sometimes and how we receive medicines Uh, remember Karen a lady in our church a few years ago who died of cancer And it was just a horrible time, and we've all felt that, leaving children behind and that kind of thing. And God didn't heal her. She died, and uh, obviously. But one of the things we did do is pray through with her every drug that she took. And she was going to take a series of drugs, which she said she's going to be really ill, and that's going to be it. You know, she'll just lose all consciousness and all. So we said, well, we're going to pray about that, that you don't get those side effects. And we prayed for her, and she didn't get those side effects. Praise God. And, you know, right to the end, she was able to sit up, she was able to talk to her children, she was able to, you know, communicate with everybody. God blessed the medicine. And these are just some of the ways, you know, we can involve God in healing, even if we go to the doctors. (laughs) I really believe that. I don't think it is just doctors or God. I think it's, no, God uses doctors, and we'll bless them, and we'll thank them, we'll pray for them, that God will guide them, and all the rest. But also, we look to God, primarily, for our healing, because actually, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He decides our beginning and the end. So whatever the doctors do in the end, he's the one that calls us home. But I just want to raise that, that issue of need. You know, do we need God enough? Do we have that concept of need? Or is God actually in the NHS or in the waiting line? 
uh, of the NHS. And the second thing I noticed that was different was obviously the spiritual atmosphere of the people, the culture of the people. They have a completely different world view. And, you know, it can be so helpful to when you find yourself suddenly thrust into a different culture to see things very differently about your own. They suddenly become black and white, things that you've not re- we've known, but it's so clear, the difference. So I just want to make a few comments on that. I mean, what was immediately clear was that African people... Hello. I'm talking about you. Um, uh, African people are culturally more open to spiritual things, generally speaking, than people in the UK. Um, there's a kind of a simplicity... There's an openness, there's a a willingness to believe. It's like the spiritual world is much more real to some African people than it may be to some of us, which is good, but it's also got some issues too. There's some problems with that. So it's good in the sense of there's a very easy face for the supernatural. It's not so good because in this more spiritual culture there are challenges, especially for those coming to Christ, in distinguishing perhaps what is of God and what is of their own spiritual culture or even the superstitions of the past. And that can be a challenge. I was talking to one of the pastors, in fact, when I went to Lesotho, and he was saying how often people kind of syncretize different belief systems. So it gets very confusing because they kind of pray and then they go to the witch doctor and take the medicine from him and it all gets very kind of superstitious and mixed up and Jesus kind of gets added on and that's quite a a problem to try and teach people about leaving their past and coming to Jesus. Leave it behind, repent, turn away and come to Jesus. But do you know guys, this is no different for us. It's no different for us. We've got stuff we've got to leave behind from our culture, and we've got to turn away, and we've got to repent. It's, it's just the opposite way round, because we don't live in a spiritual culture. So from our earliest days, we're trained in logic, aren't we? We're, chain, we're trained to question everything. Apparently written on the side of Reading University once was the phrase, question everything. And then some wag had written afterwards, why? Uh, <laughs> But doesn't that just sum up our culture? Question everything. Well, why? Well, because we have to. And um, our cultural background is a prove it to me and I will believe. Our tendency is to be cynical or to reserve judgment on things that are are spiritual, especially we've got a very kind of physical uh, view of the world. And so we come with our own cultural baggage. And it's not that one culture is better or one is worse than the other. Both have their challenges and both have cultural strongholds that we need to overcome. Uh, Before I went to South Africa and I was preparing a series of talks on spiritual warfare, which I just thought, why am I doing this in Africa? I'm speaking on spiritual warfare. But anyway, it went well. But before I, I went, I was reading C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, which is absolutely brilliant. If you've not read Screwtape Letters, you've just got to read that book, because that completely messes with your head. You need to grab the Bible and read it for half an hour afterwards, because it just gets, it confuses you. But he says this, he says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall, the British. Um, 
uh, can fall about the devils, about spiritual things, if you like. He says, one is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Two opposites. But he goes on to say, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors. and hail materialist or a magician with the same delight. That's so true. I mean, it's quite clear that, you know, a South African spiritual culture allows them a very easy access to spiritual things, and without crisis, this fascination... I don't know, why is it that the fascination is always for evil? But it's the same in our own culture as well. It always goes for what's bad and what's sinful. But there is this fascination for evil and it's kind of enforced by witch doctors to whom they turn for protection and advice. And then in our own culture, there's this complete denial of spiritual things, its relevance to our lives. There's no recognition of evil. There's even a naivety about things. I mean, when I was at school, they thought it was fun to play on the Ouija board. It's just a naivety uh, about spiritual things. And you've only got to look at some of our TV shows that use some of these things for entertainment to know just how far we've come in that sort of stupidity. But both extremes are equally dangerous, as this quote points out. So we're not looking, you know, we come back from Africa, oh, it's a wonderful, we're not looking to build an African culture. Um, We're not looking even to adjust our own English culture so that it's a bit more African or a bit more spiritual, actually what we need is something completely different and actually a lot more radical than either of those because we need a completely different culture. Church has got to have a completely different culture. As Christians, we have a completely different culture. We have a supernatural culture. We have the culture of heaven. You know, we need to see God's kingdom come on earth. We need to see heaven's kingdom breaking out so that all that is in heaven appears with us. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. I want you to pray that all the time, he says. This is part of your daily prayer life. Pray that that kingdom comes and imposes itself on ours. And I've said this before, and this is a soapbox thing for me, I guess, but the church is meant to be a taste of heaven. Did you realize that? The church is the dwelling place of God on earth, so it's meant to be a taste of heaven. And so when people encounter the church, or people from the church, then they should encounter God and all that's in heaven, because it's through the church. He he manifests himself through the church. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we hear of people encountering angels in our meetings. I said, it shouldn't surprise us (laughs) when people encounter angels in our meetings. You're not surprised. It shouldn't surprise us when people just can't stop laughing amongst us sometimes because in God's presence is fullness of joy. It shouldn't surprise us actually when people are healed. In fact, I'm surprised that more people aren't. It shouldn't surprise us when people are overwhelmed with peace or feel loved and accepted. We should expect these things. Because these are all parts of heaven that can be experienced here on earth through the church. The church must be the place of the demonstration of God's imminent presence and power. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just like Jesus showed us 
That's what Jesus showed us. It says in Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease. He preached the kingdom, and then he demonstrated it. He healed. Why did he do this? Because he was giving the world free samples of his kingdom. He says, this is the kingdom I'm preaching. And he says, look, have some. <laughs> have some free samples. This is what it's like in my kingdom. You see, he came from a kingdom. In Revelation 21, it says that there will come a time when he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is passing away. These are the free samples. So how much more can we have of heaven on earth? Because that's the culture we need to live. I don't know. (laughs) I'm up for trying. Let's have some more than we've got. You know, surely we want as many foretastes as we can get. You know, this is when miracles break out. When we get heaven on earth. We just can't contain it. You know, when God's kingdom comes, the demons can't stay. They just have to run. When God's kingdom comes, healings just break out. We don't have to try. Because Jesus is reigning on earth through his people, the church. Does Jesus reign here? Does he reign here? Does Jesus reign here? Yes. Ever so quietly, Lord, yes. So the question is then, how can we see more of God's kingdom here on earth? This is a whole series in itself. I'm really excited about doing this later on in the year. But let me just throw out a few things for you to think about. Jesus said this, he says, we can't even see the kingdom. He says, you can't access it unless we come with the simplicity of a child. Rob's paraphrase. Can't even see it, can't access it. Simplicity is one of the hardest things in our culture. Just to be simple. Because, question everything. Why? Well, we have to. Simplicity is a big cultural challenge for us. But we're not even going to see the kingdom. We're not going to touch it. We're not going to taste it. We're not going to feel it. We're not going to experience it unless we can somehow come to terms with this whole thing of, I just need to be simple. (laughs) It's simple, isn't it? No, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) It says simplicity is hard for us. And, you know, we don't do very well with things that we don't understand. We find that hard. I need to somehow box it. Now, what box does this go in? Some things I've noticed about simple people. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't just mean in other cultures, but we're seeing God move amazingly in England too. And there's a simplicity about those people. Let me just tell you some things. I'm not going to particularly comment. I'm just going to tell you them. It's like this. When somebody tells a story about how God broke into their life and how they healed them, how God healed them, what's your first reaction? That's where it starts. Thinking of other explanations, maybe. 
they weren't ill in the first place, probably. Did that lady really have no kneecap that suddenly just appeared? She's just making it up. What's your first reaction? In a simple culture, we just believe them. If we're going to get taken for a ride, well, that's okay. I'd rather be a believer than an unbeliever. Amen? Secondly, when somebody takes the brave step of moving out in a supernatural gift... Somebody brings a prophetic word. Somebody last week brought a word of knowledge. A brave step. What's your first reaction? Analyze. <laughs> oh, well, you know, they could have brought that a little bit better if they'd sort of brought it in that time in the worship, or maybe, you know, maybe we should have, maybe, maybe the meeting leader should have just explained that a bit better. There were visitors here, after all. I want to uh, suggest that our culture is one of celebrating bravery, not success. That's not my phrase. That comes from a friend of mine called Simon Holly, but I really like that, and that's part of that simple culture. So when people step out and bring a prophetic word, like James did earlier, wasn't that magnificent? Twice in a week, he's not even here, so I can talk about him. Twice in a week, he brought, brings something amazing. What we want to do is get behind those people and say, Yeah, come on! <laughs> well, I will. And Ruth! And Ruth, whoa! I just didn't want to make her feel awkward, but thanks. Come on! Come on! Here's another one. Think about this one. This happened this morning. Come on, Tom. Oh, come on. Suck it up, Tom. This happened this this morning. This after morning. I will get through this. You know, what about when prophetic people say, do you know, God's really here. His presence is just here so much right now. What's your reaction? <laughs> well, they're just prophetic, you know, <laughs> prophetic. They're just a bit kind of sensitive to things. I don't feel anything. Did you know that God puts prophetic people in churches to be like spirit levels? God's here everybody get ready, God's here his presence is just coming right now so what do we respond in faith Okay, I don't feel it Lord, I I don't get it I'm an engineer and I'm still trying to work this out but that's okay in faith I respond if they say God's here and I trust them and I love them and they are more sensitive than me I'm just going to, I'm here to receive whatever I can get Please hear me. What about when sometimes people say they're only feeling a bit better, (laughs) but not completely healed yet? Well, it's probably just psychosomatic. 
They felt there was pressure, a bit of pressure then. They obviously felt a bit better in the moment. Guys, this happens. I've thought that. <laughs> we travelled with a doctor in South Africa. He thought that. And I thought, my goodness, you're being robbed. You're being robbed of something. So do you dismiss it or take encouragement in the little and pray some more? You know, a couple of things I've been learning about heavenly culture is about celebrating the things that God has already done and not what he hasn't yet done. Shall I say that again? Because nobody cheered or anything. It's about celebrating the things that God has already done. God's already done so much. So why do we focus on the one thing he hasn't yet done? It's not just about results. That's another cultural stronghold for us. And I heard this definition that healing is not just about complete restoration, but it's leaving somebody in a better position than they were before you prayed for them. How about that? I can't quite get my head around that one. That doesn't fit with my results culture. I make people feel better. But you know how people that are sick need to be encouraged. They need to be affirmed. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know that even though they're not better yet, God hasn't left them. They're not in sin. So when we pray for somebody, they should feel better. (laughs) Not just about the results. It's about the input and the impartation of faith that we bring. And I'm going to come back to some of these things because we're going to talk about this sort of stuff a lot more. I believe that's what God wants us to do. We built this culture of honour and we're going to keep talking about honouring people honouring the gift but I want to talk about building a supernatural culture and what it's made up of and what its constituents are because I'm here for the long haul I don't know if you know that (laughs) some people have said oh no Rob he's he's going off here there and everywhere else I said yeah but it's only because I'm here it's only because my feet are firmly planted you know I've just got to say church I knew you were praying for me while I was away, Alison knew you were praying for us. I'm so grateful to you. Do you know, one, I'll just tell you this. Is this okay to tell you? Uh, this is a great story. Whenever you do stuff on spiritual warfare, guys, you quite often get a bit of trouble, all right? Stuff tends to happen in my previous experience. But I got the church praying, and I got into a place of faith where I said, none of that is happening we're just not having that. I went to the house when I got there. I said, nothing's happening in this house. I'm not having any disturbance in the house. I'm not having anything coming through any doors or windows. You know, I went totally off the wall on this. I went for it. I'm not having it. Because <laughs> we're here on mission for God. All right? So anyway, did the first talk. Got away with it. It was amazing. God turned up. People got set free. Wonderful things happened. <coughs> But there's still the second talk, and that's the one I'm really scared about. So I did the second talk, and I went for it, and a load more people got set free. Praise God. Amazing miracles broke out. Oh, one guy got set free, okay. And as he got set free, 
he got filled with the Spirit, and he glowed. The glory of God came on him so much, he lay on the floor for an hour on these cushions that we'd nicely put out for him. Nobody could go near him because the glory of God was so strong without falling over. And we didn't go around saying, oh, there's a man over there with the glory of God on him. (laughs) So just keep away, you know, put these cones out. We didn't tell anybody. (laughs) People just tried to walk through the room and they couldn't. It was so cool. But anyway, that night, I went to bed saying, well, Lord, here we go. Trusting you. Remember what I prayed? I'm holding you to it. <laughs> One thirty in the morning, I woke up, and there was a dark figure coming through uh, the, the window. <sighs> Here we go. Turned over, getting my finger ready, <laughs> and there were three flashes of light, like Catherine wheels. <laughs> and it just went straight out the window. Now, you might think I'm totally weird. I don't mind. But three angels were standing there. Praise God. I wanted to share that with you. So we're going to talk about some more of this. But you know, the kingdom, if we really want a kingdom culture, it makes very little sense to us without a spiritual worldview. We need to shift in our culture and adopt the culture of heaven. Some people have called Jesus' teaching on the kingdom an upside-down theology, which isn't very nice, is it? Not very honouring. But it is. It turns everything that we know from the world around us on its head. (laughs) Uh, So what makes you think that you're going to be able to make sense of everything that you will see or experience in this kingdom? Because his theology is upside down. I mean, you know me well enough that there's no sense in which I want us to leave our brains outside when it comes to this kind of thing. I'm a thinking man. I think things through. I'm trained in logic like the rest of us. And actually, I want us to think even more. And I want us to think bigger. And I want us to think deeper about some of the things that we believe about this stuff. Because in the end, it's all about faith. It's about what we choose to believe in. It's what, in terms of our own personal culture, allows us to have access to or experience of spiritual things. What you believe is what opens or keeps the door closed in the miraculous and the supernatural. It's not about personality. It's not about my sensitivity or yours. It's not even about your upbringing or your experiences. It's about your faith. It's about what you believe. Do you know, in uh, Lesotho, and I, I tried to describe to you the spiritual atmosphere of that place. It was It was a very difficult place, spiritually. There's a lot of demonic stuff going on there. The guy who leads the church is called Pete, and he's an engineer. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Because I went and said, did you know there's this, that, the other? Did you, did you sense that, this, this? He said, no, I didn't see any of it. So I really need help. 
And I thought, no, you don't. Wow, you're God's man. You're the right man for this. And what he will do is teach those people and give them great foundations. But his faith level is, yeah, I know that stuff's there. Yeah, I know this stuff happens. I believe. But I believe in a powerful God. And that's how he survives in that place. I don't know what the time is. Can I go on for a bit longer? What about the people at the back there? Is that okay? I just want to share a few more things with you and then I'm done. Because I want to ask you some things now. I want to ask you, is that okay back there? Yeah, okay. I want to ask you, what do you believe? That's how I want to finish. What do you believe? What do you believe about this realm of the spirit? What do you believe about God? and his ability to communicate with us? What do you believe about our ability as human beings to encounter him? What do you believe about that? I don't mean what have you experienced. What do you believe? What is possible? Is the impossible possible? Uh, What's your expectation? Or are you cynical? I'm just asking straight in the face, looking you in the face. Are you a cynical person? Cynical equals sinful. You know, a shocking thing I realised a few years ago is that everybody lives by faith. It's not necessarily by faith in God, but we live by the faith. We live, uh, we live by faith in what we believe in. What do you believe in? Well, that's what you live by. That's your faith. So, if you're in any doubt of this, for imagine, if you're in any, sorry, I'm losing it again. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. If you're in any doubt about this, that you live by faith, imagine one day that you wake up one morning and you've got a terrible pain in your chest. Now, if you're a man, you'll do absolutely nothing about it. You'll suffer in silence. And you'll make everybody miserable, but they won't know why. Because I'm a man. Now, this happened to me. This is a real story. (laughs) Steady. This happened to me a few years ago now. I had a terrible pain in my chest. And you know, guys, I'm convinced I was having multiple heart attacks. I went through one day and I suffered in silence. Went through the second day, again, this pain and the breathing and the, oh, and the pain was getting worse. And I'm sure I was having more heart attacks. On the third day, I decided in the end I had no choice. I've got to go to the doctors because I'm about to die. I don't know what you're laughing about. This was really serious. And I remember driving to the doctor's surgery, and I was driving down the road thinking, I might not ever see that shop again. (laughs) This is a really ugly town, but I love it. This was in Smethwick. I was driving down the road, I got to the doctor's surgery, parked the car, I thought that's probably the last time we'll see that car. Went into the doctor's surgery. I'm living by faith, guys. This is what I really believed. I sat in the doctor's surgery. I sat there and I thought, I'm going to die. And I suddenly started thinking, hold on a minute. How could I have done this? I started thinking about it. And then suddenly I remembered. I'd spent a whole day at Alton Towers on the log flume because nobody else was there and the kids wouldn't let anybody else insisted I sat on the front row because they didn't want to get wet 
and like a loving father, that's what I did. But every time I went down the log room, I banged my chest. Every time I went up, I banged my chest. Every time I went down, I banged my chest. And I thought... I went into the doctor and I said, Doctor, either I'm dying or it might be this Alton Towers thing. And she said, well, let's have a look. She opened my chest like that, well, the shirt. And she said really bruised (laughs) and I just felt so stupid and do you know what she then did a test and made sure I was going to live and you know she gave me lots of compliments about my body and that kind of thing (laughs) she's a lady doctor Um, she didn't have a choice but can you imagine how I felt when I found this out can you imagine how this new revelation affected my faith seriously from one minute I'm dying and the next minute I've got years ahead of me <laughs> and I drove back celebrating Smethwick such a beautiful place to be in. and the pain diminished rapidly like magic the pain that was crippling me I laughed at <laughs> just my bruises guys we live by faith and I wanted to share that illustration with you because I thought it was funny but also because we need to be careful that we believe the right things you know what the bible says must be the cornerstone of our faith not our culture not our experience not our family tradition not the things we've seen on the internet not the things we've seen on the tv let me just comment on that and then i'll finish what the bible says because we all know this, don't we? Um, you know, most of us here are pretty well educated. We can quote chapter and verse and all sorts of things. But how many people know that often the Bible is used by some to limit or even rubbish spiritual experience? You know, where does it say that in the Bible? And it's used so negatively. And so that what we've experienced becomes rubbished or invalidated. I mean, I can't find anywhere in the Bible the woman that I prayed for with the lump on her arm, and I pointed at the lump, and her arm shook in the air. She screamed, fell down on the floor, and then the the lump disappeared. I couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible. I didn't see that miracle in the Bible. So we must be careful not to read the Bible two-dimensionally. We must be careful not to just extract its teachings, collect all kinds of doctrines and theologies, but at the same time have very little knowledge or experience of the spiritual or miraculous world that the Bible talks about. Have you thought about that? I mean, there's some pretty weird things in the Bible. Have you read it recently? (laughs) I mean, have you read the book of uh, Ezekiel? I mean, I'm sure that guy was high on something. (laughs) And the book of Revelation, I mean, he'd been on his own for quite a while. (laughs) You know, there's some things I can't understand or relate to there. And then there's all these angelic visitations in the New Testament, the visions, the miracles. I mean, when was the last time? Hands up, please. When was the last time you fell into a trance? And a sheet was let down from heaven with animals on it. Anybody? 
Or what about the last time that you were uh, miraculously transported like Philip from one town to another? We were praying for that miracle a lot in South Africa to get home. (laughs) (laughs) And so we say that the Bible is the cornerstone of our faith. It is, but it's not just a theoretical work. You know, the Bible also records the things about God that people experienced. And there's a lot more than I have already known to be experienced. Are you so glad that God's so big so there's so much more of him to experience? (laughs) So what do you believe? What parts of the Bible have you experienced so far? And how does your faith work out practically? See, the disciples that followed Jesus didn't just get a degree course in kingdom theology. They experienced the kingdom firsthand and then led others into the experience of that kingdom. So are you experiencing the kingdom of God? Because this is what it means to create a supernatural or a kingdom culture. That's it. We're going to be talking a lot more about this, um, but let me ask you, as we close, as we come to an end here, what is your expectation of God? What's your sense of need? What's your, what's your expression of need of God? Where are you at today? Do you need God? We need to need God. And some, I, th- I just feel like there's something God wants to do in clearing away some of the other things that we rely on some of the other things that we go to instead of God. I'm not talking about not going to the doctors. You know, I don't want anybody coming to me saying that, all right. But there's some other stuff that just gets in the way of our need of God. I want to ask you about your personal culture. Where are you up to with your faith? What do you believe? I want you to think about these things. What am I experiencing of God right now? How, how small is my experience of God? And I think some of us need to renounce some of the lies that we've been believing because we've been believing the wrong things. What have you been believing about God, about yourself, about the church, about what God's going to do, about revival if you want, throw that into I really believe God's on the move. I believe we're on the edge of a move of God like we've never known before. And I actually don't say that very lightly. But as we close, and we must close, but I want to just pray that there would be some culture shifting amongst some people here. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would break out on us more. Why should it just happen to me that I can't get off my chair on Tuesday morning? I want God to break out on us. I want to be overwhelmed. I'm fed up with just being church, doing church. I really do want the Spirit to break out amongst us. I want us to come to church full of the Spirit, not having to work something up. Is that all right? Oh, you know, I love what you said earlier. I was listening to the radio and the Spirit came on me. I couldn't stand up. That's the kind of thing. But it's not just prophetic people. It's about what our faith is. Can God interact with me in the week? Is that okay?